Hello everyone and welcome to Ted Art Ted presented by Fresco Media. I'm Shreyas Krishnaswamy. I'm joined by someone who I called Macha for most of the years, but Sid Shaker, <laughs> how are you? What's up? Yeah, it's an exciting project for us and we're here to present to you our first podcast um under this banner and today we have a very interesting topic, a very interesting prelude to what could be, you know, a surprise package in European football. League ah oh. <laughs> Liga perfect pronunciation by the way Liga is kind of it's kind of ironic because we've just the name of the podcast is pretty much a french phrase that is tete tete and tete tete in if if you're not aware of what it means is basically a conversation between two people in french and it's quite a common phrase across uh english journalism and we thought this would be quite appropriate for this podcast since we have two people speaking back and forth about their love for the game um Now coming back to league ah uh, well what is your experience of league over the past decade or so So personally I think it's a very interesting topic because I would say that I follow football quite a bit especially Serie A La Liga even the Bundesliga as well and I think out of the top 5 major leagues in Europe I think I'd say that the league one is uh, league ah uh, is where I follow it the least and I think partially subconsciously it's because of course you see online about all these comments about it being the Farmers League and you know total PSG dominance over the last eight years and stuff like that and it kind of uh, people people kind of think that you know it's a it's a league without much competitiveness in terms of uh, clinching that first position and it's more about the mid table teams trying to fight it off for the fourth and third positions the fifth position second position and whatsoever you always have one of those teams that kind of annually challenge PSG. but not clearly not make enough of a dent of course we obviously have the exception of the monaco case the fantastic class of 2016 17 where of course we all know who burst onto the stage that season kylian mbappe and their wonderful youthful monaco team which was unfortunately ripped apart by the so called bigger clubs the next season by poaching their best players and yeah it's going to be very interesting this season because i find it very fascinating in the sense that the league uh, has started early and they've kind of gone about a different kind of method where they cancel the uh, the league uh, season of 2019 2020 and of course uh, the, we come to the topic about marseille qualifying for the champions league one. as a result very of that but yeah they've kind of got a head start a very contentious one yes <laughs> so they've kind of got a head start in the other leagues so yeah it's going to be interesting to see when you also see that psg have not played a game yet and nice right now are sitting pretty on top of the team table at two wins out of two well what a what a shocking season <laughs> huh? what a shocking start of the season for psg well i mean obviously they haven't played a game yet but just just to give a brief context in the last decade of psg's dominance in league a uh, um like you said they've won nine out of the last 10 titles um with monaco being the exception in 2016 17 and uh, well i think liga has burst on to the spotlight of recent because of the exploits of lyon and psg getting through to the champions league semifinals and i would i would turn that as farmers harvest if you think about it because for all the years that they haven't been they haven't have had representation in the latter stages of the champions league we've seen many clubs that have churned out fantastic talents across european football that have moved clubs and yes. been superstars yes. in their own right uh, we'll come to them a bit later but just going through the positive momentum that liga has built number one because of the champions league campaign for lyon and psg but also they if you didn't know this is a very interesting fact is that liga has the second highest domestic broadcast rights deal 
which kind of shows how passionate the French are about their own football, about their own league. And this seems to create a lot of positive momentum around Ligue 1. I mean, of course, we know how the French are about their language, their identity, and of course, when it comes to their country and patriotism. So it's not surprising at all. But I think maybe we are also guilty of kind of downplaying the Ligue 1 as such when it comes to their competitiveness and the actual quality of football that is on display week in and week out. I mean, harking back to one of Monchi, the transfer gurus in the market, as what he said about League One a couple of seasons ago, saying that he predominantly looks at League One to pick up talents because I don't think a lot of people realize this, is that League One gives a very, very well-rounded education to football players when it comes to a mix of technicality, physicality, the speed of a game, the tactical awareness that is placed on the players through the coaches. So I think it gives you a very well-rounded uh, education when you do go on to newer pastures like say the Premier League or the Syria or the La Liga or Bundesliga. So I think it kind of shows that there is quality. The quality of players are good in League One. The quality of games also is good because you just don't become a good player if you're playing in games that are not up to the standard of elite European football. So yeah, I think it's kind of underrated by the media outside France. And I think this season, the season that just got over where we saw PSG and Lyon make it to the semi-finals, has kind of opened eyes to see that, yeah, there is something to the Liga other than PSG kind of winning it at a canter season after season. Yeah, and just for anyone who doesn't know why Monchi's word is so important, I mean, Monchi is the guy who is currently the sporting director of Sevilla and has inspired them to six Europa League titles over the last... 15 years. Um, just on that note, we'll take a short break and on the other side, we discuss Ligue restart. Welcome back to Tete Tete and we're here to discuss the early restart for Ligue 1 after cancelling their 1920 season early due to coronavirus. Um, a lot has been said, a lot has been spoken, a lot has been discussed about why this, why Ligue 1 decided to scrap their season early and basically award the positions based on points per game after they played 26 games that season. Um, at the end of the season, the table um, looked as PSG's champions, which should have been pretty much confirmed even if they had dragged on the season a bit. But then the problems arise from second onwards because Marseille finished second at that point in time, Rennes finished third, clinching a Champions League spot, and Lille finished fourth. Now, interesting, very, very contentious. There are theories floating around as to why Liga was stopped early, but one seems to be that the French president, Emmanuel Macron, is a big Marseille fan, which is well documented. I mean, isn't that a very cynical viewpoint for people to say that uh, Emmanuel Macron, of course, we all know he's a big, avid Marseille supporter. But uh, I think that's a very cynical point of view because I do, I, I know you kind of uh, think that it was a little bit unfair to the team as well that uh, Marseille were granted Champions League position. And I do kind of understand that perspective for certain fans. Well, but, let me just give you a brief... I, I think there's a little bit more to the story than, than what Matt suggests. So, uh, just going on at what Macron did after, after, they, discussed, well, after they decided to uh, stop the season prematurely, um, Emmanuel Macron decided to consult with the shareholders and stakeholders of French football, which included the French man manager Didier Deschamps, the LFP, which is the French uh, footballing authority on whether they should restart the season or not. And uh, this is where it becomes contentious in the sense that he only met with Marseille's president and Paris FC, which is a Ligue 2 or Ligue 2 second division team in France, 
were just lingering above the relegation zone at this particular time. He only met with these two people to discuss whether or not they should continue the season. So that seems to be the French people or non-Marseille fans' opinion of why the league was I mean, when you do speak about it that way, of course. Yes, I read the reports of him only meeting the Marseille president and the Paris FC president. But I do feel that there is a little bit more to that. And of course, we aren't privy to the politics that will happen at such a high level. But yes, I can see why fans are grieved. I can see both sides of the argument. And I just think it's a very unfortunate situation. Of course, we, uh, football has never been through such a situation as such. Yeah, very so, unprecedented times, you must stress. Very unprecedented yeah, times. So I just don't think I'm, I'm too comfortable on passing a judgment on that. And as a result, I do think that, you know, it is kind of understandable because I think we should remember that at the time of the de- uh, decision, France was being ravaged by the pandemic. It was being battered left, right, center. So I guess at the time, maybe you could say it's a re- re- knee-jerk reaction, which I don't think it was. I just think it was a reaction that was taken in the best interest of the players. At, I, like, I would, I would like to think that it was taken with the players' interests at heart. And especially not just the players. I just don't I don't think a lot of fans realize that it's just not the players who play and come to training every day. It's the coaching members, the staff, the people who work in the training grounds. They're also ones who are going to be exposing them, themselves to COVID at the time. So I think it's a very understandable decision. I just don't think I'm in a position to give a opinion on that. But yeah, I can see both sides of the argument. Yeah, just flipping the story on its head and we're talking about Marseille here, which is the only club in uh, French football to ever win a Champions League, which was in 1992. Um, Marseille yes. have qualified. They're back in the Champions League after two years out. And this is one of the feel-good stories because there are a lot of Marseille fans traditionally one of the big powerhouses of French football. Uh, yes. Are we excited to see the likes of Dimitri Payet and Florian Thauvin light up the Champions Thauvin. League? I mean, uh, for all you Premier League stalwarts, if you could remember Florian Thorne's uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant, I would say, uh, spell at Newcastle. Reminds me of I just don't... Alpha, for sure. <laughs> what a player, though. On the ball, elegant, fantastic to watch. And of course, you have Payet on the other side as well. So they do have a very good team. They have uh, Saar at right back. And of course, Steve Mandanda. I think it's going to be very interesting and I, I personally would have liked to see the League One player just to see the fact that Marseille could have maybe kind of tried to push PSG towards the end but we all know PSG would have still won it. But I would like to see PSG kind of, uh, sorry, Marseille kind of build on that second position, uh, second finish position of last season and with Bias, Andre Villas-Boas in, uh, in their ranks. I would like to see what they do in terms of recruitment. I want to see a couple of... Uh, Interesting players brought in. I think they need to uh, strengthen at the centre-back as well as in midfield. And of course, I think they need to bring in a couple of wingers. Yeah, they also lack They also lack in depth, don't they? Because they, I mean, if you're going to compete for the Champions League and Liga, you definitely need some depth. So I think they lack that as well. Don't yes, you definitely. I think that's going to be a big, big difference for teams. Because as you can see, PSG by far have the best depth in squad when it comes to the League 1. So I think it kind of helps them that they can rotate and rest their key players like Mbappe, Neymar, at least when Neymar is fit, uh, Di Maria, when it's required that they're playing against one of the lesser teams who may be 16th, 17th in the table at the time. So it does help them a lot. So I hope Marseille kind of invest at least in certain up-and-coming talents that they can kind of keep on the bench, bring them on or play them in the weekday matches and, you know, try and 
try and kind of compete with PSG in a different way because I think more you I think I think it's clearly obvious that teams right now in P, uh, in the league uh, cannot compete with PSG financially. So I think they need to be creative in the market the way they go about trying to build a team and a build a squad to compete with PSG at the very top. Yeah, more on what we're expecting from the title race a little bit down the line on this show. But um, another feel-good story coming out of Liga or from last season and with the Europa League going to Sevilla is that Ren, which is spelled R-E-N-N-E-S for anyone who wants to look it up, uh, Ren has qualified for the Champions League. Now, this is not a club that has been a traditional powerhouse, you might say, in French football that qualifies season upon season, the top four, top five. But with the addition or the discovery of a few very important, very impressive talents, uh, they have found their way into the Champions League. And you might say that their ambition uh, as a club is pretty much epitomized by the fact that they're looking to sign either one of Fikayo Tomori or Diego Godin to shore up the defence. Coming back to Ren, of course, there was a surprise package of last season in the French League. I think it was quite refreshing to see Ren, Rene, apparently, that's how they pronounce, kind of performing at the top end of the table. And they finished third at the end, so they qualified for the UCL. And of course, the talk of the town right now is Eduardo Camavinga, who made his uh, French national debut. Yes, at the age of 17. Ridiculous. And um, of course, uh, the media has always been guilty of hyping up players. And that's been to the detriment of the player who kind of... the, The weight of pressure, the weight of expectations on their shoulders has been too much. But I think it's safe to say that Kamavinga looks like an extraordinary talent at this age with his height, his physicality, as well as his impeccable technical skill. So it's going to be very interesting to see him in the Champions League next season. Let's not forget that before, pre-COVID, he was kind of linked to Barcelona by Munich, Real Madrid. Real Madrid, especially with Zinedine Zidane, who he says is one of his all-time idols. It's going to be interesting to see what they do because, of course, because of COVID, you can see that the big teams are kind of reeling in their spending because they don't know how the revenue is going to look like in the next 6 to 12 months. So they are kind of waiting to play the next season with almost the same squad that they have and kind of attack the market next season, especially for Real Madrid, who haven't bought a single player yet. I can see Eduardo Camavinga kind of fitting into that Madrid midfield seamlessly in the air for Luka Modric. So, and of course, let's not forget about the fact that uh, Rene has Mbaye Niang. He was touted as one of the next generation talents there is at AC Milan. We all know that didn't go according to plan. But he's still spearheading this attack. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does in the CL next season. And I hope that Rene keeps up their uh, current performance. They did finish 10th in the 2018-19 season. But I think there's been a big improvement. As a Rene fan, I would cling on to that and I would have a lot of hope going into the season. A good progress there, huh? What do you think about Rene? What do you think about their chances of kind of challenging at the top with uh, Marseille or even to a slightly lesser extent PSG? Well, I think again, Rene or Ren uh, suffered the same problems as Marseille in that, you know, with an extended season, with extended season in terms of games, but a shortened season in terms of length of the season, the squad depth is really going to hurt them. Now, let's say, you know, one or two key players like Niang and Kamavinga are injured. I struggle to see how they have the quality to compete in the Champions League. Of course, I might be proved wrong. But this seems to be the problem in Ligue 1, at least, that these clubs that have highly talented players and young players in the, in the squads and the first teams, they just seem to lack that cutting edge when it comes to, you know, Champions League or European uh, competition. And 
Um, of course, this has plagued the league for the last decade or so, but we're seeing we're seeing promising signs. Of course, with Lyon and PSG setting the precedent for French teams in a European competition. Um, another feel-good story, however, I want to segue to is that fans are back in Ligue 1. Uh, Ligue 1 resumed a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic. I uh, just want to ask if you've watched a Ligue 1 game with any fans so far. Uh, I've actually been a bit occupied since the restart of French League 20, uh, 2020 2021 season. But uh, you've been telling me you've been watching the matches. And how do you find the atmosphere? And how do you think that it's like this is obviously going to be the norm? Yeah, the new normal, can, they call I it, think, don't they? We can safely say for the next six months. Yeah, this is quite interesting because on one hand, you you think about how you miss the fans so much, but then when you see you know a, a quarter filled stadium, it, it just feels empty in a way. But again, I have to say I did watch the Monaco game, uh, the first game under the new manager Niko Kovac, and uh, although Monaco is not the best team to compare in terms of how the crowd works because they <laughs> they can't even fill a stadium when they have uh, there's no coronavirus. Um, it was quite interesting to see that there was actually you know. A bit of resurgence from the team. They went 2-0 down in the first 25 minutes. And they came back to uh, draw the game 2-2. And there was actually a reaction from the crowd. Which you wouldn't have got without the crowd. So, I think there is some benefit to having even maybe a quarter filled or even 10% filled stadium. Because, I mean, fans are fans at the end of the day. They, they bring in a voice. They bring in perspective. They bring in context into a game. Which, unfortunately, crowd effects can't. And it's great that France is the first league to implement this. We're going to see... Uh, leagues in the future, the other leagues, the other big four leagues, uh, you know, implement. Yeah, there's talk about know, uh, Premier League uh, allowing uh, up to 15,000 fans into the stadiums from October yeah. onwards. And there's been a little bit of beta test so running. It, it seems to be universal, doesn't it? I think even La Liga and Bundesliga have approved of uh, pilot programs to implement fans into games. So this is it's great that we're getting to see um, some early access to fans in stadiums in Liga. And I hope that you as listeners or viewers do view these legal games for this reason it is quite exciting to see fans back in uh, in the ground i think we can i think we can all agree like football at the end of the day is beautiful because i think we can all have our own opinion on certain things but i think we can agree on one topic is that fans are the bloodline when it comes to football and its teams and i think it's just wonderful to see fans back in the stadium because they are the ones who get behind the players they they are the ones who kind of give that motivation to players at the end of the day players or fans chanting the names of certain players and it just adds to the whole atmosphere during in, in a stadium during the match so I think it's going to be very 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 good that they're back in the stadium more on Liga and PSG just after this short break the favourites for the Liga on title PSG Sid what do you think I think it's shocking huh, to see that right now if, you, if, if, if any of you go on and uh, just Google the League One League on table right now. It shows Paris Saint Germain in 14th position. I can't believe I'm saying this. This is after two games. And Paredes, Neymar, Mbappe, Icardi, Di Maria, Kayla Navas, Marquinhos. Shocking. All oh, in quarantine. I what don't understand. Doing? Like it's gonna be very difficult. I, I, I just don't see how like I wouldn't use the word excited. It's gonna be interesting to see how they deal with this. And of course, we already heard about uh, there's a whole uh, controversy brewing right now with the uh, PSG director Leonardo coming out and hitting at the FFP for not uh, kind of personally informing them that Kylian Mbappe has tested positive for coronavirus while he was but here's with the, the quote right here's the quote from Leonardo the direct quote is that they released a statement and sent the player home but no one from the federation has communicated this to us so clearly a lack of communication between the player the body and the club it, it seems to be a mess at the moment for PSG 
yeah, you'd expect at that highest level that they would be having communication going through either ways 24-7 when it comes to such a player like Kylian Mbappe and his wealth and his uh, welfare. So very surprising, very shocking. I think it's a proper lack of communication. But yeah, because they don't have seven players. And out of those seven players, you can say five of them make the starting lineup 10 out of 10 times. So it's going to be very interesting to see because already we can see that the curve, the upcoming weekend game for PSG has been cancelled against Lyon. So, yes, yes, it has. Been I don't know. I don't. Yes. I I genuinely don't understand how this is going to like what is going to happen with PSG. How much leeway the FFP is going to give them in terms of at least uh, postponing one more game if they don't have at least four players fit from the of aforementioned uh, players who have uh, contracted COVID. This is going to be a test. And this is going, kind of going to lay down the benchmark for other teams and other leagues as well as to how to deal with teams that have players who have contracted COVID over, say, the next 6 to 8, 12 months. Yeah, this, this, is, this is very important because in, in such a condensed season as we have it, um, and with Euros seemingly looming in June next season, it's very important that Europe as a whole sticks together through this whole time in terms of the communication between the leagues, between the clubs, between the players, between the national federations, between the governments. Because at this time, even one, you know, postponement of a game, let's say PSG versus Long, which was scheduled for Friday, is postponed, but you have a Champions League game next Wednesday. It creates all kinds of chaos. And the last thing football needs right now is chaos, because there's already chaos in terms of how people are dealing with coronavirus across different countries. There's also the suggested second wave inbound in the winter uh, later this year. So it's interesting to see. Now, we, we, we just briefly touched upon PSG's initial problems in restarting the season. But we, if you look at it more from a macro perspective, when we look at how they've developed over the years since Qatar Sports Investment took over, their ultimate goal has always been to win the Champions League. Now, having come so close, we can only say that they, they were probably deserving of the chance to win the Champions League. But at the end of the day, you know, defeats in finals impact different teams differently and um, one thing I would think is that with the loss of people like Thomas Munier and Thiago Silva they kind of lack that core and leadership and experience that they've garnered for the last six or seven seasons and I just generally feel that they're going to struggle a bit they, they might just win Ligue 1 but I think with a little bit of competition from people like Marseille from Lyon from Lille and the likes they could be in trouble domestically i think i think this can be a case of how uva were this season the the season that just got over uva did win the syria but i think ever since they started that dominant era under antonio conte through uh, max allegri and finishing with sari winning the league but still getting sacked i think this is the season the season that just got over where they were most vulnerable and you could actually see a team toppling them at the top of the league and of course, the case was the case could have been made of Inter Milan actually doing it, if were it not for the fact they kind of stumbled during the January February part of the season just before the lockdown happened. So I think it's going to be interesting for the uh, PSG as well. I think they're going to go through a transitional period soon, maybe if not this season, next season definitely. And it's going to be interesting to see how they go about it because, as you can see, they've kind of lost. Uh, Cavani has left. Munia has left. Thiago Silva has been a stalwart for them since 2012, has left as well. So they've lost a lot of experience with those three players that we just mentioned. And we never know what about uh, Mbappe. He has been perpetually linked with Real Madrid. You never know. And he's always stated that Real Madrid is his dream club. And of course, the Neymar saga that, <laughs> that happens to come around every summer 
as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, PSG. And I think this is a season where you can actually see a team kind of toppling them. What my gut feeling is saying that I still think that they will win the league this season. But it's going to be very close. Only just. Yeah, it seems like it's only going to be by a narrow margin, not like the 20-30 point leads that they've had in the past. And of course, we're going to discuss the competitors or potential competitors in a bit. But um, just just seeing the overall picture of how PSG as a club is run, Leonardo is pretty outspoken as the sporting director. You have the own onus from the Qatari owners to win the Champions League sooner rather than later, at least with Neymar at the helm. There are, There is a lot of talk about Kylian Mbappe looking for a different project if PSG don't, um, you know, stick to the path that they're supposed to be on, which is win the Champions League and compete every season. Uh, and there's also the big topic of whether Thomas Tuchel is the man for the job. I mean, we all remember the uh, the fallout between Thomas Tuchel and the Dortmund board in his last season at Borussia Dortmund. And he seems to be, um, you know, he's not... You could most... say company man. Yeah, he's not the company man, exactly. And this is a big, this is, this is a club that is operating on a, a lot of state power and a lot of they have, pride. They have spent almost a billion dollars Unprecedented. In nine mean, years. That is unbelievable. But yet, to come so close to the Champions League is is, is a lot of lot I like of Thomas, Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel. Like, I would say that initially once he left Dortmund, I was thinking, okay, what type of club, what type of profile that he could join. And when I initially saw that uh, Unai, the goat Emery had left uh, PSG. I was pleasantly surprised when it was announced that Thomas Tuchel would be taking over his position. And I was thinking, the first thing I thought was, how is he going to deal with these players? Because dealing with Borussia Dortmund youngsters and dealing with the PSG superstars is a whole different ballgame. And initially, I could see that he was kind of struggling with it. There's, of course, we've seen the bench camera point of view of him and Mbappe having a disagreement over him taking off Mbappe so that he could have a little bit of a rest. But all in all, I think Tuchel has kind of exceeded my expectations. I think he's kind of managed the team very well. Of course, they did get lucky with their comeback win over Atlanta. But you need your luck in football. You take your luck when you get it. And I think they took it and they did perform well. Of course, in the final, they were kind of outclassed by Bayern Munich's midfield and attack. And I would say that Tuchel deserves one more season at least, at least with the current set of players. And see how they do fare in Europe because I think that's clearly their priority right now. They would definitely trade not winning the French League next season and winning the Champions League next season. So I would give him that I next season. I don't think so. I, you don't I, think I so? I think that no, if they don't no. win Liga, they'd probably, you know, they'd probably cease to exist as a club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's an interesting take on it because again, there's a lot of pressure on everyone involved in the PSG project, not least the owners themselves who, like you said, put in a billion dollars into the whole club. And we wait to see. Uh, I think no matter what happens on the pitch, we do know that PSG have won the best kit of the season. There's no denying the home kit. Fantastic. The kit. They do, Fantastic. They do produce some impeccable kits. Who knows? We might just give them a taste of what we think a proper Jordan collab with PSG t-shirts might be. And welcome back to Tete Tete. And on this segment, we're going to be talking about some of the clubs that we had alluded to previously, such as Olympic Lyonnais, Rem, Monaco, Marseille, just to name a few. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Lyon right now, of course. And uh, 
I think the whole world knows right now what happened during the Champions League campaign that just got over, where Leon beat Manchester City to make it to the Champions League semi-final. Of course, they were the heavy underdogs at that stage during the competition, and yet they made it to the semi-finals. And I think this was the first time, if I'm not wrong, that two French teams made it to the semi-finals at the same time: PSG and Olympic Lyonnais. And I think uh, they have an excellent squad. Like. If you go through their midfield, they have uh, our Kakare uh, Gumaris, who was actually linked to Arsenal and Tottenham at one time before he made the move to Lyon. And you can see why he was highly rated. He has been setting the tempo for the midfield as playing as a deep-lying playmaker such. He harries around every single player that comes into the opposition third for the opposition team. And of course, they have uh, Dembele up front, who has been linked to quite a few clubs recently as well. So I think all in all they have a excellent squad and of course their coach as well is quite highly rated after what especially after what he's done in the Champions League. What do you think about Lyon going into this, this season? This is such a fascinating season for Lyon. Uh, to be honest, I think we all thought that after the great Champions League campaign that Lyon had last season, that they would kick on and you know be an actual threat to PSG. But I think a lot depends upon who they keep because. Obviously, between the likes of Hussamawa, Memphis Depay and Moussa Dembele, there is going to be a departure or two there. And that is the most key aspect of how we look at this Lyon team. Say we, they lose maybe two of them, two of these three players that I just mentioned. They are big, big boots to fill and I don't see how they're going to fill that. They are looking at also using um, Samuel Umtiti as part of the swap deal with Memphis Depay if they manage to deal with Barcelona. But I, I guess... You could say in one way that they've been so accustomed to selling over their history of uh, at least the recent history, this the century, that it shouldn't affect them too much because they again they have brilliant talents like you mentioned, uh, Guimaraes, they have Kakare, they have Rain Adelaide. Um, they did sell. Another... I mean, are we are we going to forget about Toko Akambi? Oh, I mean, <laughs> listen, Toko Akambi. Lots been made about how much Pep had sleepless nights before the Lyon game and stuck to holding midfielders just to man uh, Toko Agabi. But the guy was on fire for VRL, which got him the move to Lyon. So I think there is a possibility that Lyon could actually challenge PSG if they manage to keep two out of, the, two out of our Depay and Dembele, along with, of course, uh, Toko Agabi. It looks looks to be a promising season. Yeah, sure, I think it's going to be Lyon. an extremely promising season for Lyon. And even if our does depart the team, I do think they have quite a bit of depth when it comes to their midfield especially. And I think like Kakare is going to push on his development with the team. And of course, they have Anthony Lopez, who is one of the best goalkeepers in France right now. So I think it's going to be a very exciting season. Let's they see just what have this tendency to have a conveyor uh, belt of but, talent. So I don't see how they would struggle to replace them from within the oh, club. So, fantastic. Yeah, Leon is fantastic that way. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic piece of business they do every single transfer window. They always seem to acquire a talent who kind of goes under the radar and then sells them on for like you know double or triple the amount that they were bought on for so yeah uh but i just don't think they're gonna kind of challenge psg as such this season but i do expect them to finish in the top four let's go on to the other traditional powerhouse and the only champions league winner we yes. briefly touched upon marseille didn't yes we? we did and uh another uh, I mean, the, of course, their, their, their part, the qualification to the Champions League has been contentious, as we mentioned about Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, being such an avid fan of the club. Um, they were actually um, saved from a big, big piling of debt 
due to this new stream of uh, Champions League revenue that they're going to get for the next season. And with all the financial problems in the background, and again, we spoke about the lack of depth. Where do you see Marseille finishing this season in Liga? Uh, I think it was quite a disappointment. Like, uh, so when Florian Thauvin joined Newcastle, I think a lot of expectations and pressure was there on his shoulders. And we all know what happened. I think it was a massive disappointment in the Premier League. But I think people are quick to forget the talent that he had. And I think he's shown it in abundance once he has been back in Marseille. Unfortunately, an, an injury has disrupted almost the whole season for him in the 2019-2020 season. And I'm, going, I'm looking forward to him bouncing back extremely well for Marseille this season. And of course, they have the mercurial talent of Dimitri Payet, who West Ham fans know very well what he's capable of. The streets will never streets forget. will never forget. What a player. What a player. But yeah, I think they have also uh, Andre Villas-Boas, who's kind of slowly, slowly built back his reputation that has been damaged at Chelsea and then when he moved on to Tottenham. We all know that Champions League is there for Marseille next season. And of course, a little bit controversially. But yeah, and they have also made a good signing in Alvaro Gonzalez. It's going to be interesting to see how he performs. And um, I would say that their strength is in the midfield. They have Kevin Strootman, Maxim Lopez, who is... They're not playing as such and gay. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And of course, they have Steve Mandanda, who has been one of the most underrated uh, goalkeepers of this decade, in my opinion. I think he's been absolutely fantastic in certain games, especially in the Season Champions League. veteran, as we may Season call Season veteran, yes. And I think that they're going to be relying on his experience a lot this season, and rightfully so. And But I do think that they need to kind of improve their depth in the strike and fullback positions. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be yeah. interesting to see what they do there. Uh, I Although I don't think that they will finish above Leon, I do think they're going to go on to have a solid season. I expect them to finish around the top four, top five. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think I think top four is very realistic for Marseille, and I think that has to be the target considering they've been bailed out from last season. We're gonna talk about uh, one very important team in the French league right now, Lille, and of course we all know what they are all about. They're kind of the same when it comes to Lyon and their recruitment policy of buying players that go under the radar and then selling them on to bigger clubs for double or triple the amount. As you've just seen recently, Victor Osman has been sold to Napoli. And, and Nicolas Pepe a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, exactly, for $72 million, which is not a bad bit of business from them. And as of recently, even Gabriel Mangales has moved to Arsenal in a 23, uh, $23 million deal that could rise to 28 So I do think that they do some very astute business in the transfer market. And of course, under Christophe Gatlia, I think they are flourishing in the sense that they have a lot of potential to kind of challenge. I, I mean, again, when we say challenge, I just think that it's PSG's season, to PSG's league to lose every season. So I just Absolutely. hope that they put some pressure on PSG this season. And I think it's going to be especially interesting to see how Renato Sanchez tries and rebuild his destroyed reputation from his unfortunate stint at Bayern Munich. And of course, his ill-fated spell at uh, Swansea City. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that you talk about Renato Sanchez because this is a guy who, again, was the golden boy at the 2016 Euros, was touted as the next superstar for Bayern Munich in the midfield. And um, he's kind of re-established himself in a lower, lower division. Of course, it didn't work out at Swansea. Uh, we all know how that went out. But 
um, at Lille, he's he's become a very important member of the team. And you're just looking at how they performed last season. They finished fourth in the table, and the season before that, they did even better. They were runners-up with uh, Nicolas Pepe spearheading their attack. Now, they've, of course, lost their key player, their talisman, Victor Osimhen. They might have conducted, again, the best business of the window by quoting 80 million euros for him. Hmm. But they have replaced him with, well, this is another Canadian superstar. And probably these are the two ones, right? It's Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, who are the spearheads of Canada's footballing resurgence. This guy is is very all-action. He's, he's almost like... Uh, a replacement for Simhan in the sense that he has the pace, he has the technical ability, and he also has an eye for a pass. Now, what what Lille have done, which is very interesting, is they've signed the veteran from Turkey, Burak Yilmaz. I'm sure we might remember him from the 20, 2008 Euros or 2012 Euros. Galatasaray as well. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was on fire for Turkey in a couple of tournaments, if I remember rightly. So they're looking to form that lethal part- partnership between the two, and of course, with People like Renato Sanchez and Jonathan Ikone uh, in the midfield, again, talented players. It, it could just be, you know, a case of can they stick it together? Can they keep the consistent performances up? Because if, if they do, if they manage to win, say, two in every three games, they have a real shot, don't they, at Liga? Um, Just alluding to Jonathan Ikone there, I think I'm very excited to see what he does this season. I think he has bags of potential. And it's going to be very interesting to see how Christopher Gatlier kind of deals with him and manages him this season and of course in a lot of view uh, a lot of french viewers feel that christopher gatlier has been the best manager in liga this decade perhaps only eclipsed that too for a brief period of time by leonardo jardim's monaco winning title season so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there yeah one thing finally about Lille before we move on is this this is a club that has always been a selling club, but still manages to perform every season despite losing the best players. So I don't think we should look past the fact that they might have lost the two of the biggest players in the last two windows. I still think there's a lot more to improve for them as a team going forward. Moving on to another club that has broken the PSG dominance in 2016-17 with the golden generation of Monaco superstars. Uh, now, this is a club that, again, is is predominantly known for the talents it produces and gives out to uh, richer clubs who pay a hefty price for uh, these players. Now, under Niko Kovac, there's a lot expected of this Monaco team the next two or three years. And I think we've seen the effect of Niko Kovac as a guy who kind of brings a lot of discipline and kind of brings some team unity into the setup, which they've, they've struggled for under... First, Leonardo Jardim's second spell. And, of course, they had to hire and fire Thierry Henry, which is another expensive affair. This seems like the season where, again, since it's such an open league where the other teams have lost players and we're still yet to see what Lyon do as a club. With the stability in terms of attacking talent, they still have Wissam Benyeda, who is their ultimate talisman. And, of course, he's broken a lot of FIFA ultimate team controllers. I think I think I think they formed a very very potent partnership, Islam Stamani and uh, Wissam Benyedo, and uh, of course I have a very soft spot for Monaco because I mean they produced the king for me, Thierry Henry, because I'll be always grateful for that one player. But uh, I think uh, Monaco has. You mean the king of France, Kylian Mbappe, don't you? It's not Thierry Henry. <laughs> you mean Thierry Henry there? Yes, I agree. <laughs> but um, yeah. 
with Monaco, it's a very interesting thing. Like, I think that they, they've kind of a yo-yo club, not in the sense they bounce between uh, divisions frequently. I just think that they bounce within the table quite highly. You see seasons where they are competing at the absolute top, top one, two, three, fourth position. And then some seasons, they're absolutely bang average in the middle, the midfield area of 12th to 8th. And then you actually do see them also kind of fighting for relegation once in a while as well. So I think this season, they are primed to perform at the top end of the table. They, of course, have Alexander Golovin, who has been steadily, steadily improving as well. Of course, we shouldn't forget the fact that he was chased by quite a few clubs after the Euros of 2018. So, uh, sorry, 2016. I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how Niko Kovac performs as well. I think it's going to be... Uh, it's a very important job for him, especially after what happened at Bayern Munich. Because I do think he did very well in his first season. I think maybe the second season, there was a little bit of a blip, which is too much for Bayern. And of course, we all know about their lofty standards when it comes to the domestic league. So, I do hope he does well. I just, I, I, I think Niko Kovac can be a very good coach. And Axel Disasi has been signed by Monaco as well. So, that's going to be a key player to watch out for. I do think that their central defense, despite the arrival of Disasi, is going to be a big worry for them. Yeah, they did look they did look very open in the game that I watched, the first game against uh who is it? I think it was against Amiens, if I'm not mistaken. The defense was very shaky, they were caught out easily on the counter. So a lot of work to do for Nico Kovac, but if there's one thing he can do, it is show up a defense. He showed that at Antar Frankfurt. So uh hope for big things for him. Moving on to another ex legend from Arsenal who's taken up a managerial role and in fact has been the manager for a couple of seasons now, we're talking about OGC Nice, which is backed by uh, Ineos, which is a very wealthy uh, petrochemical company. They've lost Malang Sao in a free transfer. Uh, they do have a lot of talented players, as we've seen over the past few years. What do you think of their prospects going into the season under, third season under Patrick Vieira? So, first of all, yeah, I'll be rooting for Nice this season, of course. As you mentioned, Patrick Vieira is the manager of Nice. And I think he's done a fantastic, if a little bit underrated job at Nice. If you see the 2018-19 season, they finished 7th. Yes, but then based on how they performed the previous season from which he had over taken over and the disharmony in the squad, it was a transitional period. And to make 7th, I think it was a pre- pretty good campaign for them. And of course, we know what happened last season when the season was cancelled. They finished 5th. So I do think you can see a good progress with them. And I think it's also been a little bit of a shock for me to watch Nice in the sense that I expected Vieira's teams to be kind of full nitty-gritty, sitting sitting at the back and, you know, waiting to hit on the counter as well. But he has tried to implement a very, very pleasing on the eye for viewers to watch. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out this season as well. They have Morgan Schneiderlin sitting at the base who, after a ill-fated spell at Manchester United, has kind of had a downward spiral, you can say, in his career. And, of course, they've signed Kasper Dahlberg, who is going to be extremely important for them this season. I'm going to be looking forward to see what he does in France. You can say that Nice has depth all over the squad, all over the area of the pitch. But I just don't think they have that much quality when it comes to their defense. Although he has kind of drilled Nice very well when it comes to defending as a unit. I, I, I honestly don't know what to expect from Nice this season. I definitely do see them finishing above 7th seventh, seventh or above in, this, in the league. 
But I wouldn't be surprised if they finish seventh, or I wouldn't be surprised if they compete and finish maybe second or third. So, what do you think about Nice, and what do you think that fans should expect from them this season? I think with the consistency and the solidity that they've garnered in the past few years under Vieira, and the relative, you know, the ups and downs of the other clubs that we've just spoken about, it could be a good season for them. I can see them breaking to the top four. Of course, they have Europa League football to contend with. But again, Marseille and Rennes have Champions League football to contend with. So, it's kind of balancing expectations. Do Nice actually feel that they belong in the Europa League? I'd say yes. I'd say this is a perfect year for Nice in, in that they're achieving, they've achieved all their objectives set out last year. And for the clubs above them or around them, it seems like a difficult year of transition. So, uh, I mean, again, stability is the name of the game. We've all seen it. Do you think he's going to take, take the Europa League? seriously or do you think he's kind of going to be willing to let go of the group stage and kind of try and just bed young players and give his experienced players the rest i think again this is a team that doesn't have the depth of psg you might say so i think competing with two fronts is going to be difficult of course the europa league depends on which group you're in how much you travel and this and that but overall i think for all the all the french teams competing in europe it's a very very big balance this season because most of these clubs have closed the gap if you think about how they've done in the past three or four years, if all of them suddenly have a good season, all these uh, clubs that we've spoken about, other than PSG, have a good season and PSG slip up, then, you know, the the uh, the ultimate prize of dethroning PSG could be bigger than the Europa League. Or definitely, European competition. definitely, yes. So this is quite, hmm. quite fascinating, the whole narrative regarding Liga. And we already spoke about Rennes as well, how they have to balance out their first Champions League campaign in a long, long time. And, Trying to also balance the expectations placed on the youngsters like Kamavinga. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch and I, I, I really hope that that Ligon lives up to the billing. On this segment of the podcast, we're going to be talking about France as a conveyor belt of talent for other league teams to come and pick up their players from. And I'm going to give you a prime example of Monchi. A, a renowned transfer market guru who is back in Sevilla for his second stint. And one of his most famous quotes are his quotes on France football, where he says that if I want to do scouting for certain players who kind of go under the ta- under the radar, or we do not we do not have a budget that would uh, allow us to buy two three expensive players, and we need to be creative in the market, find these unearthed gems, and then polish them and sell them on to bigger players. He says that he goes to the Liga to search for such players. If you look at the guys or the players that have made the step from Liga to the other leagues and even to the upper echelons of European competition, we're talking about, we're starting with people of this decade and we're looking at Eden Hazard, Olivier Giroud, Miralem Pjanic, Memphis Depay, of course, has made the step here and could even go to Barcelona. There are so many players that we've seen who have graced the other leagues and shown something completely different from what you think. I mean, you're just looking back another 20 years, where we've seen Thierry Henry, we've seen Ronaldinho, players like this who've been unique in their own way. They're almost like artists when they kick a ball around. And to find these gems in a league such as Liga is quite prevalent, I might say, because we've seen the last few years, we've seen Nicolas Pepe, now we're seeing Eduardo Camavinga. These are, again, generational talents. And we must not forget that the clubs are primed at selling their players, trying to get maximum amount of their revenue through player sales. And it has shown, it has shown in the finances as well that France is making most of the revenue through player sales. So 
this is a league that again is exciting for young players especially french or ivory ivorian I, I, yeah like alluding to just what you were trying to say about uh, ivorians coming into france i think because of france's citizenship policies i think a lot of uh, a lot of uh, immigrants have come from africa have come from the middle east have come from you know other areas such where they have kind of faced a little bit of scrutiny at home and they have wanted to go to new pastures like the parents of these players and i think france has done very very well in providing a platform for these players who are not ethnically from france but at heart they are full parisian they're full they're full french and they're born brought up there and they've given the rightful opportunity they deserve to showcase their talents and have given the opportunity to represent teams in the league uh, league though whatever it is and i think that's kind of helped france's profile when it comes to attracting young talent to come into the league and play for such said teams so i think that's a big important factor as well because at the end of the day as a young player you just want the opportunity sh- to showcase your talent and i think the french league does that very very well i think exceedingly well compared to a lot of other leagues where young players don't exactly get the opportunity to showcase their talents so that way i do think that they have benefited a lot in terms of especially some of the clubs like we alluded to monaco lille lyon where they have sold on their players for triple the amount or double the amount or even into five times the amount of money that they spent initially on the player and it has rewarded the the club financially it has given the player an opportunity to play for a bigger and better club so i think it has been a win-win uh, situation for both sides just on a last no last word you might say what are your predictions who's going to win the league out this year <laughs> uh, i'm going to go with psg again i just think they have too much too much quality all over the area to ignore even though that their start to the season has been heavily disrupted by covid and the infections in the team but yeah i stick with the psg coming first yeah i'm i'm just looking forward to how ren cope with a champions league and how they cope with the hype that's going i'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of hype around the youngsters so very excited to see how they do in the champions league and again like you said i think psg just have a bit too much Well, there you have it. The new season of Liga is upon us, soon to be joined by the Premier League and La Liga, which kick off this weekend. Thank you for listening to Tete Tete by Fresco Media, and we'll be back next Friday. Until then, goodbye.